I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. And hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 187, I think. Sounds right. Anyway, I'm your host, MotoGP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. You. Coming to you from Nokomoto Podcast headquarters, which is also Moto One Podcast Network Studios recording Suite A, where we had, um, yeah, we had a we had a day of sunshine today. One of our three hundred that we get every year. We have, um, I don't know, I've I've finally been able to get some riding in this week, um, but you know things have been hit and miss, but it's okay. We, um, I don't know. <laughs> I have no intro today. I'm <laughs> fucked up. Um, well, I have something to start us off with. Okay. Just a quick, uh, uh, a correction, an omission, and an apology. Oh. Which is, uh, in the previous, in a previous episode, I ref, we were talking about the Batman. And in the process, I mistakenly said starring Edward Cullen. Which, of course, is wrong. It was Robert Pattinson. And I understand that for our demographic, that caused a lot of anger, rage, heartbreak, feelings of betrayal. And I, I just want to sincerely apologize for that. Uh, if you could stop sending the death threats, that would be most appreciated. Um, I'm very sorry. I am a work in progress. Now, if we can all move past that now, hopefully we can uh, move on to the rest of the show. Okay, yeah. So let's see, we got uh, big news of Suzuki and MotoGP. We've got Best Worst Bike of the World this week. We've got some emails to get to and uh, maybe some other things we could throw in as a surprise if we have time to get to them. What should we start off with? Emails or Best Worst Bike? What do you think? Uh, let's do Best Worst Bike. Okay, so here we go. Best worst bike in the world this week. This is how this is going to go. We have each chosen a motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. We alternate who has best and worst bike each week. And remember, it's just a fun way to talk about a couple different bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. And as will always, always has been the case and always will be the case moving forward. We reserve the right to be wrong. So if you have a problem with that, you can send an email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com and we'll all move on with our lives. So Swigs, let's see, you have worst bike in the world this week. Uh, I do, but I accidentally prepared the best bike in the world this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's happened um, again. Uh, well, it's fine. We'll just do two best, and the next week we'll do two worst. Okay. We've done it before. It'll be okay. okay. I, this is, what, the fourth time we've done it in almost 200 episodes? It's not bad. It's not a bad record. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm just trying to think. Like, Could we just switch it? And do I have a worst bike on deck? I, I don't think I do. Not with any notes. Let's just do two best. All right. So, Swigs, you have a... Best bike in the world this week. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. And one of the best bikes in the world this week is... The Honda Elite 250. 
Oh, the CH250. The CH250. Now, so basically this started in 1985 and went on to 1990. Uh, I think it was also sold in Canada for a little while. And there were some more premium versions sold in Europe and Japan. So, what are we looking at here? What we're essentially looking at here is the birth of the maxi scooter. So, this is essentially from a mate. I don't know if there 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 probably were some larger ones. Uh, before this but essentially this was the largest scooter from a major manufacturer at the time and this was the first well largest power wise there are some weird oddball scooters from the 50s that were probably physically larger than this i mean yeah displacement wise yeah there's some some heinkel scooters that you know so there were a lot of uh yeah there are a lot of like 250 two-stroke scooters but this was the first this is the first 250, first highway uh, capable, sold in the U.S., uh, and it's got some very interesting things about it. For one thing, it's got that huge front uh, bodywork because this was a liquid cool. Right, I was gonna say, yeah, and there's a there's a radiator under that. Uh, it's also a uh, digital dash, true digital dash true digital dash you could even switch it you could even switch it between kilometers and miles per hour on it oh sweet okay all right um they later on switched the motor out from a vertical to a horizontal so on the later versions you had underseat storage but there's no underseat storage on this one but you got um the one we're looking at is definitely not stock but there was a um but yeah you got all these features it had a top speed of around 75 miles an hour, uh, which, you know, at the time you were mostly doing, you know, 55 and to 65 miles an hour. So it's got to be like 17 horsepower. 19. 19. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's easily going to hit 75. Well, I mean, not easily, but yeah. Uh, well, and it's but, well, it's also um, set up for it as well. So it's meant to cruise right. at fairly low. With You're doing, you're doing like, 65 on the highway without seriously stressing the motor right uh it looks like it's still got 10 inch wheels here yeah it does have the smaller wheels um weirdly in america we only got the base version so you only got um you actually had an upfront drum brake uh but there were models with a disc with the front disc brake um but yeah and then you also got about, um, they were saying it's generally like, depending on how you're riding and where you're riding, 45 to 65 miles per gallon with a two-gallon tank. And the motor only went up to like 9.8 to 1, comp- was only 9.8 to 1 compression. So it was basically this giant super understressed 250 cc motor designed for going on the highway when there really wasn't anything like this around at the time what year is this again 85 okay so it's really probably meant for a lot more 55 mile per hour things like not interstate more state highway because yeah i there's just a natural speed limit of about 60 with 10 inch tires 
There just is. Yeah, there's a there is a limit. And I understand with the crank and everything on this motor, you're gonna have a little bit more spinning mass than you might on some other scooters, but there's a lot of body work here and I uh, ten inch wheels, the you know, it's it's not it's not that you need more wheels for more grip. It's that you don't realize just how much the gyroscope of your wheels is holding your bike up. And 10 inch, th- th- those are not large gyroscopes, you know? And with every inch or two that you increase size, you get so much more stability from your tires rotating. It's, it's really weird, but I mean, if you just take a bicycle tire and just spin it slowly and try to like you to know, hold it on an axle or something, it's amazing how hard it is to turn. It really is. Uh, so I I don't know that I really want to cruise at sixty five on this thing. I I'm, uh, but but okay, but still being able to do fifty five all day long on something mm. four stroke from the eighties is a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you you take one exit. Oh, I would do one exit, yes, but I'm not going seventy miles on the interstate on well, this. Well, you also thing. you also have to remember this is 1985, so the actual speed. Well, for one thing, the speed limits all around were a bit lower at the time. Yeah, and also, you know, you you are keeping up with Ford Pintos at this time. Like that's true. Yeah, like the speed limit sixty five. You can get away with doing sixty. You're right. You're right. It's still going to be stressful though. You're going to be gritting your teeth. Like your forearms are weirdly going to hurt because you're just holding the bike so stiff because you're getting no balance for free. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're still getting some. Yeah. It, it's it's well, it's about as sketchy as driving at the time was. You know? I do like the nice big headlight on this thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's a thing that most scooters are very much lacking, and that's a very much maxi scooter thing to have a proper motorcycle headlight. I like that. Yeah. Um, let's see here. What else do I notice about this thing? Um, I mean, the radiator's cool. Uh, I've seen one of these in person with some sort of homemade, like gigantic rack on the back of it. And I feel like the guy was hauling a p pe- like an electric piano, like a full size electric, whatever it was. I've got a picture of it on my phone somewhere. <laughs> These things are um, they're capable. I've seen it in person. Um, what's the front suspension on this? Is that a is that a leading link I see there? Uh, I'm not sure. Um. It's a leading link and what looks to be the world's yeah. smallest brake disc or disc brake. I mean, uh, on some of them on the, well, in America to start with, you just got the drum brake. Okay. So is that incorporate? Was it like a, like a, like the drum as the hub, so the drum as the wheel sort of situation? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, also, you know, considering like how much power this was and like the fact that this was the biggest scooter at the time, adjusted for inflation, what do you think this cost in today's dollars? Oh. 
Um, 80s scooters. Honda. Adjusted for inflation. So if you were going to... Okay. Um, $4,800. It's a little bit more. It's $5,800. Okay. So it's $2,400 in 1985. So it was small motorcycle money. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. If you were looking to buy like a Honda Silverwing 6600, you know, 10 years ago, you were spending $8,000. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I think it's also worth mentioning that the Honda elites as a line are such a frenetic like basket case all over the road like it's the least consistent line of vehicles ever there's the 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 elite 80 which has frunk storage there's the um the honda elite sr50 which is a two-stroke with no amenities whatsoever and then there's the ch250 Honda Elite, which is this thing, and I feel like I'm even missing another one in there. Uh, you're missing the uh the Elite 150 with the flip up headlight. Oh, of course, <laughs> the coolest one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they all look wildly different. There are almost no styling cues that they all share. They, yeah, they somehow have, like, no shared styling cues. They all look, com- like, radically different. And they are all unmistakably an elite. Yeah. They don't share any parts that I know of. What a weird thing for Honda to do. Hmm. Okay. And, of course, the essentially the successor to this bike, uh, which kind of happened in the late 80s, uh, beginning of the 90s, was the Honda Helix. Oh yeah. I I want a Helix someday. I'm just so curious about them. The I, a lot of people have a love-hate thing with them. I I think they're super cool. But, you know, I like the the weird Honda Bat bike too. Oh, the NM4. The NM4 Voltus, yeah. Uh which is weird because I also am deeply deeply offended by the idea of recumbent motorcycles. (laughs) But if you, if you sit on, I have sat on Harleys and victories with much more aggressive feet forward designs than a Honda elite and an NM4 Voltus. Actually, they look like they're recumbent. They're really not. They, they're, they're, they're better than you think that way. Um, but they are super comfy to sit on. All right. Um, I don't have any more questions about this. Are we ready to move on to the other best bike in the world? Let's do it. Okay. And our other best bike in the world this week is the not available yet sneak peeked at Royal Enfield Scram 411. Have you seen this yet, Swigs? I have not. Is this like a scrambler with the Himalaya motor? It is a Himalayan with 
things taken off of it, basically. Uh, so if you look up some pictures, there's loads of pictures of, for this. So apparently this thing I think is going on sale in the UK or Europe in general fairly soon. And I think it's available in India already. I'm not entirely sure. There's a price for it in pounds, which is like 4,300 pounds, something like that. We can assume, I think it's going to be Himalayan money here. So around five grand. It is basically a Royal Enfield Himalayan with the new, you know, 411 motor that puts out a few more horsepower. And it's got a different seat, which supposedly is a lot better than the old one. It has different handlebars. It has a different headlight and this really cool custom nacelle that holds uh, the gauges. It's got... Um, I think slightly different forks and a different fender. And other than that, it's a Himalayan. And I love this for a number of reasons. So it's like about 24 horsepower. So it hits an honest 60 miles an hour. It is essentially Himalayan weight and all those things. And as YouTube has shown us, it is in Himalayan form it was already completely capable of scrambler things. So this is a scrambler. This is the first true modern scrambler I've seen that I know scrambles. And of course it does, because think about how many legit scrambler things it has. It has a single cylinder, mid-displacement, air-cooled motor. It has a already proven um, frame, which is a single split down tube, very scrambler, right? We've got a, 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 a basic uh, swing arm. We've got a lightweight frame overall. We don't have any of that silly like Barkbuster nonsense. It's relatively stripped down. It's got, you know, normal-ish fenders and everything. It's got the high pipe. It is, in the grand tradition of scramblers, a already existing motorcycle, which has just been slightly modified to be a scrambler. It is, in every way, modern and legitimately classic, a scrambler. But its party trick is that it actually scrambles. Yeah, so I mean, just looking at it and kind of from what I know about the Himalayan is that this would be kind of the performance you would expect out of like, you know, if the Suzuki DR200 was built today, you'd expect this kind of performance. Yeah. But it's a larger displacement, less stressed motor, and it's just got essentially some nicer finish to it, and it's a little bit more practical. But yeah, so... I, just quick thing, they do still make the DR two hundred. Do they? Uh, yeah, they haven't updated it for a few years, but yeah. When you say a few years, are we talking like like the last four years or something? I think they claimed to upgrade it like four years ago, but all they did was like give it that weird like gray, blue and gray treatment that they gave all their sort of mid range off road bikes. This bike looks straight out of the 80s. Yeah, that's Suzuki's thing. I mean, 
I kind of love the DR200, but anyway. But, okay. So, in any case, in any my, case. My, po- my point is, it doesn't, yeah, you're, this is essentially like, this is somewhere in the meld between, it's, this looks like something somewhere in the meld between Scrambler and Dirt Bike, fashion-wise, <laughs> but is clearly modded. Which, I mean, we really don't see anymore. Like, even if even if you look at something like the uh, like the CRF, the new CRF L models, they're all just essentially registered performance dirt bikes. Yeah. But, yeah, I think this kind of fits. Yeah, you know, well, I guess in a lot of ways, this is also legit in that it's... Um, you could equally ride this around as a fashion statement and actually scramble with it. Yeah. Well, and also the price tag, right? It's like five grand. If you drop it, who gives a shit? Right. We're, mm. we're talking Ninja 400 money. Like it's nothing. It's just whatever it's, it's, you don't have to be precious about it. And you know, if you're going for like a Bonneville, you know, a Triumph Scrambler or, you know, whatever other, you know, whatever other motorcycle that's going to be six, seven, eight, nine, twenty thousand, you know, you know, like if you drop your your Ducati Desert Sled, you're, it's not going to you're not going to be happy about that. But this is sort of whatever. And speaking about dropping it, there's this weird fashion thing that this bike has that I can't figure out what it is. It looks like on the edges of the tank, it's got like maybe some weird frame sliders or something that um, have the Royal Enfield logo on them. Do you see what I'm talking about? If they're not there to like catch the bike when you, you know, drop it in the dirt or whatever, I don't know what they're for. I think they're just there to take the impact because somebody was probably in in uh, test riding for it. Somebody probably dropped it and hit the metal gas tank on a rock, spit split the tank open and lost all their gas. And they probably thought we should do something about that. I mean, also, that's <laughs> kind of a nice little scrambler like cue thing as well. I, I like it. The um... Yeah, because if you look, that's like, the part of the tank that sticks the fur that's the part of the body that sticks the furthest out. Right. Um, so also I, I just like this bike as an entry point for a lot of riders too. I, you know, people, you know, there's still a lot of Royal Enfield doubters out there, but I feel that the Himalayan platform, especially has kind of proven that it's, if not, like super duper reliable at least a really great bang for buck yeah it doesn't promise the world it does this this one thing and it does it fairly competently and and simply and well and i think this is a version that's gonna be a little more a little more fashion oriented than the himalayan but just as accessible for new riders right Mm-hmm. You can have all your vintage cool, your your Royal Enfield name badge to to show off, you know, when you pull up outside, you know, whatever 
whatever bar, if you're trying to be hipster or whatever, if you're, if you're old, if you're young, if you're whatever it is, this, this speaks to a lot of people at a really nice price point when shit's hard to find shit's expensive shit is people are just buying things to resell them at a higher price the next day. Like we're, we're in one of those weird things where you can ride a bike off the lot and it gains value, <laughs> right? It's, um, you know, I, I am very, I am very welcoming of another $5,000 bike, right? Mm-hmm. This is a perfect time for something like this when, you know, it's like, oh, I was thinking, you know, one of those Triumph Scramblers or Street Scramblers would be a great, a cool thing to buy right now. Oh, I can't find any of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And this is coming from India, not China. It might actually, you know, a dealership might be able to get some of these in. Who knows, right? Yeah. Well, also, um, I think it was, I can't remember where I heard this, but I think like the the actual CEO of Royal Enfield right now I want to say is this guy in his 40s and he's fairly young he's yeah. fairly young and as far as I know he's the only uh CEO that actually rides his company's motorcycles yeah, well, he's he's been involved in like so many of the press launches. I yeah, he's he definitely puts himself out there. It's weird that we don't know his name cuz I I can see his face in my mind. Um but yeah, but yeah, I, he he's he's a believer. Yeah, and um Yeah, this seems like the sort of thing that people were actually asking for. And in fact, I wouldn't I would not be surprised if something along this style of bike was done custom in India and people were making something like this out of Himalayans. Just stripping them down for fun and doing their own custom thing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah, I mean it makes you wonder like is it worth kind of finding, you know, a, a three or a three or four year old Himalayan and just stripping it down yourself. And well it's gonna have the older motor that's like eighteen horsepower, isn't it? Um but if the no, bike is it's five worth, grand, it's worth getting <laughs> this one. It's worth getting this one for the extra horsepower. It is because wasn't the the four hundred motor like three hundred and eighty something cc's? And now this one's like you know like thirty cc's bigger or something. But it's like the it most impactful like that, yeah. thirty cc's ever. I whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I'm in love with this. This is. Um, I mean, I've been. I've been. Um, I got to be. A little tighter with money. I can't say why just yet, but um, the th- this is compelling to me for just like a thing to just you know ride around on, tool around on, and do some silly things with off road. Should you feel like it, I it's fan- I don't know. I think it's great, and I I, don't know, I just love that it's actually a scrambler. I because remember it was a the Triumph scrambler. Um, 1200 everyone was like oh okay it's a modern scrambler that finally scrambles but they had to go to such ridiculous costs to have it actually do the thing yeah it's it's 1200 cc's what no this is 
This is an adventure bike. Well, they had to do that to compensate for all the weight and everything. Whereas Royal Enfield was like, well, I mean, if we just, why don't we just make it simpler? Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, in, in the old school, like, you know, cause you, what was it? Um, there was that Fortnite video where he was talking about how like the SCR 900 was his favorite scrambler because it was actually not really all that good. Right. It was, it was, it was horrible off-road. It was no better off-road than like a CB 900, right. From the eighties. And that's because that's essentially what it is. Right. And it's a Sportster 883 knockoff. Like, so yeah, to me, like the scrambler just needs to have like just a little bit longer suspension, like the ability to take a a a, a light ish, not light, but light ish street bike, off road, without feeling like you're just rattling shit off of it, right? Yeah, that's what you're going for. It's not a styling thing. the The higher pipe adds hardly anything to it because. I mean, realistically, like, you know, how many, how many berms are you, are you really, are you really hitting on these things? Right. Not many. Right. And you're probably not going through a bunch of mud like they used to do in legit old hair scrambles and shit. I don't know. I, I, I just believe more than anything else that's held the scrambler name, this is a little closer to what an old school scrambler is supposed to be or should, or what, you know, and what a scrambler is and isn't is like, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's. Well, I think there's something else nice about this is that this is an unapologetically modern bike for a brand that up until recently has been entirely trading on heritage to the point where they were excited to announce unit construction motors. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. (laughs) So, so to make something like, you know, and even then, you know, we had the Himalayan, which, you know, still kind of looked a bit like a bit of an eighties bike. And then you got the, um, yeah. Then we you, you kind of even went even further back with the Continental uh, GT, mm-hmm. which is meant to look like a seven. Which one? Both of them. Oh, okay. Or or sorry. Oh yeah yeah. Oh the, oh yeah. The you one mean, with the horrible five hundred single or the new twin one. Uh, the new tw- well, technically both, but um, yeah, I don't want to give any credit to the. The, the bullet 500 with one more horsepower right um, yeah so you don't have, forget the clip-ons oh and the clip-ons yeah um but yeah th- you know basically looking more like 60s and 70s bikes uh but this you know kind of this does kind of straddle the line in a way that looks more like it it's still somewhere between essentially the the Himalayan and a sort of a bit of a dirt bike look something. Yeah. But it's, um, but it's now kind of evolving into what is clearly, what is starting to come out as the modern Indian 
or the modern Royal Enfield aesthetic. Yeah, I like it. Um, also, the, my last thing to say about this is the Scram 411. What a fucking home run of a name, right? I So good. So good. I yeah i i don't know how to how else to say it just a fucking home i respect where respect is due i and uh the 411 written across the side of the tank um you know the mm, i don't know just on the name alone i say bravo the scram 411 all right, I'm I'm good to to leave it alone with that. If you are, yeah. And let's see, would uh, do you got some emails brought up, or should we take a break, or what do you think? Uh, let's just split out the emails real quick. All right, what you got? Okay, so uh, we got this from a while back. Said uh, this is from Hank, who says I was listening to your worst bike of uh, October nineteenth, twenty nineteen, about the about Janus motorcycles. My wife and I have both ridden them in uh, October of 2020. It was a manufacturer's demo at Blip Roaster's Coffee Shop in downtown Kansas City. They were fun little bikes for what they were. I would rather ride a Janus than a Grom or Z125 in the city. Uh, what a co- fun conversation piece at the gas station. Or the coffee shops. Uh, never could it be an only bike for us. Our stable is... An 05 Vulcan VN2000, an 04 1500 Vulcan Classic, an 03 800 Vulcan Drifter, and a 77 Yamaha XS750. Have also had a few Shadows and a Road King in the past. I will say watching Motor America that, that you guys have turned me on to it and listening to Best Bikes. I'm thinking about getting a nice used FC8 or 2009 or newer fc1 uh my poster bike right now is the 2022 yamaha xsr 900 in blue and gold thinking about that one too what say you guys so first of all let us just remark on the fact that this is now like the third or fourth person who has emailed us who just happens to own a vulcan 2000 yeah yeah, that the, that's one of those bikes that if the right one pops up at the right price, I'm going to jump on it one of these days because I I just like the horsepower and torque numbers out of that thing. And I two liters is still huge displacement for a V-twin. Well, especially when all the other bikes in that category or all the other Vulcans are essentially super long stroke motors at what are already ridiculous displacements at like 1400 1500 1600 oh yeah and then this thing comes in with an undersquare uh with with a short stroke two liter motor it's such a switch up from what all the other vulcans do yeah with the combination of air cooled and air cool and liquid cooling and it just being a Kawasaki, I, is there a more reliable V-twin on the planet than a Vulcan? Uh, I don't know. I, I've just I've never heard a, a, a Kawasaki Vulcan owner have trouble. I've just never heard of it. I'm sure it exists, 
well, no, I'm not sure it exists. It's, <laughs> a, I've never encountered that story I, without massive, massive neglect being involved. Like as long as you change the oil once a decade, I, I like, I feel like the Vulcan is on Honda levels of just bulletproof reliability. I think that's probably true. I mean, dad's 1600. He had, he bought it like seven years old with the original battery and then rode it like another four years and didn't change. I don't, I'm not even sure if he changed the battery when he sold it. Like it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how good this damn bike is um yeah uh right so uh the other thing he said in that the janus so i after i read this email i was looking through some janus stuff and i both feel better about janus and worse since the last time i took i bothered to look at janus bikes I didn't realize they'd added the 450 model. And two things have happened with Janus. One, it looks like they are making a lot more of their own parts. And it's looking less and less Chinese put together and stuff. And more and more kind of what you would want it to be. But that also means it's becoming ridiculously more expensive. So I can't remember what like the Halcyon 450 is going for, but I want to say it was like it was like fourteen thousand dollars for a 450 single. And the thing looks great. It's like they're looking better and better all the time. I remember when these things were pretty new, like back when I was living in Indiana and someone told me about them and I was like, "Mm, okay, I see what they're going for. But they were they were a little bit more primitive back then and like less legit looking. And now there's this seems like there's zero they've zeroed in on more of the details and they look great, but that's a lot of money for what it is. Um I don't know. Have you it's looks like you've got the site brought up swigs and you're getting some sticker shock. Uh I know the webpage is taking forever to load. One sec. I don't know. Yeah. Uh. Well, also, like, Chinese motors really have come a long way in the last, like, seven years as well. Yeah. And also, our and even if the motors haven't, our faith in them has. So that's a little bit better as well. Well, it's, I mean, essentially what I would say for a lot of them, especially, like, the, the air-cooled, like, single-cylinder motors, is essentially the way you can look at it now is just that it's gotten so cheap, especially in China, to just to make these motors. And the precision has gone up enough that essentially when you buy one of these motors, it's it's kind of like getting an 80s Honda. But it's an actual motor in production that you can get support for. Yeah. So, you know, how bad can it really be? I, me just being sort of the motorcycle nerd that I am, when I look at a Janus, they they look great, but then my eyes go down towards the motor, and I'm like, mm. the like you you had me like you you the illusion was all there, 
until I got to the motor with its squared off fins, right? With its with its modern paint on it and everything. And I'm like, Ugh. and I, I just feel like if Janice, uh, it, the, the, the extra money that I would want to pay for is if Janice could just bother to make their own jugs for these motors with round fins on them. Right. And if they could get those to reliably, you know, if they could make those consistent and well enough that they would go on the, you know, uh, if they, they could mate these to the, 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 the Chinese motors that they're getting in, and then maybe just like a, you know, their own like rounded off stator cover that said Janus on it as well or something that would complete it. But for me, I look at the motor and I'm just like, uh, it's too much of a giveaway. I can't, I, I can't deal with it. I, I, I keep thinking to myself like, huh, what if I could buy one of the, like, it's almost like one of these things would look better with one of those like, um, whizzer bicycle motors in it. Right. You know, I mean, well, I think another thing about it is that, um, you know, if you go and you look at a lot of the, like the imported bikes and especially if you look at like the, like the California sco- scooter company stuff, like the, the G 400 and, and look the G 400 N and some of the other stuff that comes over. And then you just see like, um, a lot of the, just the straight up Chinese bikes that are Chinese branded, you know, when you look at enough of those bikes and then you start looking at bikes like these, you start to notice all the stuff that's parts kit, that's parts bin. Right. And you're like, oh, that's the same set of controls as this bike over here. And that's the same as this. And oh, yeah, that's the same motor. And and you you go through it all and it's like, hmm. You know, in in the age of Alibaba, like I could order and put 90% of this bike together myself. Yeah. Or I don't you think could that's pay ex- too much for it and I call it a Cleveland Cycle Works. I don't think that's entirely the case with Janice. They do do it looks like they do do a lot of custom stuff. Oh, I think the frames are pretty much the the whole chassis frame is is theirs at this point. It used to be less so. It was kind of like an imported frame with a their own tank. They always made the tanks. Mm. And if if you look at different Janices through time, like they're getting better and better looking. But it's it's been a process for them. But I mean, I guess that's how like, you know, it's a good model. Start with something that you can actually deliver and then build towards your dream. So I, you know, I'm I'm going to I guess long story short is I have less. I'm I'm more OK with Janice these days. I just personally couldn't pull the trigger on one. Yeah. So the Halcyon 450 is 13 and a half grand. Yeah, it's a lot of money for a 450 single. I know they look great, but that's a lot of money for a 450 single. Yeah, and even though, like, I think the four the 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 Chinese motors these days are reliable. Like, it is. It's not like it's a Honda. Like, it's still a Chinese yeah. motor. But looking at that bike, wouldn't it be great if it just had rounded fins? It would. Wouldn't that go a long way? Anyway, um. So what was the last part of his email there? Uh, he had the thing about his, his Vulcan. He had the thing about the Janus. There's something else he mentioned. Wasn't there? Maybe not. Uh, I moved on. Let's okay. See. Well, let's move on to the next email. It's fine. 
Okay, well now I just clicked off it. So great timing. Um, hang on. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Okay, so now I got one from Phil who is talking about the rep. Or rep in general, really. It says, greetings, Swiggy and Pete. Phil from NorCal here. I have not emailed in a long time, but have not missed an episode and also doing some Patreon contributions to help to try and help out. I would like to comment on the Rupp Centurion Worst Bike Chapter. You guys are too young to know this, but Rupp needs to be given much more credit in the motorcycle history of the 70s. Many of us 70s kids grew up with the legendary Rupp company. I myself started out with a Rupp go-kart. It was my first motor vehicle. At the same time, my friends had a Rupp minibike, and believe it or not, a Rupp miniature Model T that was geared to top out at about five miles an hour, but with modification of knobby bicycle tires with an inc- and was an incredible hill climber, even with a dog as passenger. Please do not take the Centurion or the Gojo as the Rupp standard. Among our circle, the gold standard was the Rupp frame. Then we would find uh, an approximately three and a half horsepower Briggs and Stratton or to come say rototiller motor, usually from an old tiller in a parent's garage that suddenly went missing. And this had the centrifugal, uh, centrifugal clutch and the controls. Although this phrase did not exist then, the Rupp platform was the ultimate hooligan platform for early motorheads and was quite sought after. There were many cart and mini bike frames, but they did not have the correct geometry or appealing sweep line uh, like the Rupp. As an FYI, one could always, one could really uh, always tell a Rupp frame, but under the seat was the Rupp identifier, and we would always tape it off to preserve it when repainting a new color or touching up. Uh, from there, we moved on to motorcycles. My earliest uh, bike crew of 15-year-olds all came from the Rupp school. Just thought I would share that uh, for myself and my early crew that Rupp will always be a legend in our minds. Yeah, well, I, I hinted towards that a little bit when I was talking about hmm. the aesthetic of the centaur, or not centaur, was it the centaur? Whatever. Um, where it it had to follow this rep aesthetic that had been set before. And we looked at the Gojo because, I mean, if you haven't, Googled a picture of the Rupp Gojo. I do it. And I mean, it makes, it makes like any power wheels look like a downright responsible purchase for your child. It's the only way I can describe the styling. I guess if you're, if you're an older millennial, um, think back to like the earliest, like handheld, um, like vacuum cleaners like the dirt devil oh yeah this little kind of yeah uh so so i did look up other rep things as well and yeah it looks like the um yeah they they made some some much more substantial go-karts and basically just giant versions of the gojo as well and everything seems to be powered by like either a 280 or a 320 cc two stroke that don't put out a huge amount of power, but I'm guessing the idea is they were just sort of 
I don't know, um, whatever, uh, just up to the task. The the snowmobiles seem like they were a little less reliable. They seem the snowmobiles look like I mean they're they're just those snowmobiles before snowmobiles got figured out. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a big box in the front and something coming out the back, but they weren't like I don't know. They're kind of like modular. They're not. They're not. You know, snowmobiles like like you know jet skis kind of got figured out right away you know even if you go back to the 60s like ariel like made a couple uh you know water cycles or whatever and just the general design and everything kind of everyone hit it pretty quickly and by the time like 1982 comes around and kawasaki's got the jet ski it's like oh yeah we're done like the this is its final form. I mean, we might put bigger motors in these, but that's a fucking jet ski, right? And they're really not much different today. They're really not. I saw one in a dealer, a brand new stand-up jet ski in the dealership the other day, and I was like, yeah, it's rounded off a little bit more. It's not as super square as they used to be, but yeah, this is a jet ski. Snowmobiles had a long road. And the rep ones are nowhere near the halfway point is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, noted uh, rep, um, you know, helped a lot of kids break limbs in heroic ways. And I, I can salute them for that. But let's not pretend that this lightens, you know, the 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 collective cultural burden that is the <laughs> centaur, right? Uh, okay <laughs> what else have we got for emails all right one more <clears throat> and we got one more from leon who says hey legends first i just want to say thank you for bringing dirt bike music into my life it's a piece of the puzzle that i simply didn't know i was missing if it was mandatory for everyone to wake up and listen to five minutes of dirt bike music it might just make the world function that little bit better So I have had a few rotations in the garage. I don't really have a lot of people in my life that can truly appreciate the nature of these changes the way I think you both would. Firstly, some background. I've always been a 600 guy. If you can remember, my first bike was a CBR 600 F4i. This is what made me fall in love with bikes. I then got a CBR 650R. And while I had that, I also bought a 2010 SV 650S with the intention of having something I wouldn't mind scratching while riding on gravel, going camping, etc. Either way, this was the life for me, 600 class all the way. I had no intention of ever getting a one liter bike or anything else more powerful. The stance was fortified by some of your, your views about a post-horsepower world and the episode where you featured any liter bike is a worse bike. Then something happened. My older brother, who has a BMW S1000RR, Lost his license for three months for speeding. While suspended, he said I had to come around and rotate through his bike lineup, which was the BMW uh, and my original F4i, which he now owns. I was pretty circumspect about taking out the BMW, but as duty dictated, uh, went around one Friday and brought it home. The ride home was intense, and I'm not going to lie, I felt far from comfortable. I woke up in the morning and decided that this simply wouldn't do. So I hopped on and rode it for the next five hours to get comfortable. It didn't take that long at all. After about 20 minutes, I was like, fuck yeah. 
and after holding on to the bike for a week and riding it everywhere, I was ready to change my views on leader bikes. So I went out and bought a 2014 Aprilia RSV4, and it is fucking awesome. I would also mention that I sold the 650R to my nephew when he turned 18 and got his license. So now I was down to the SV650 and the RSV4. Not a bad lineup. After a couple months, I felt like it was a bit of a waste having the SV650 as well as the RSV4. I kind of thought that the SV was no longer really winning in any category. The RSV4 had been set up suspension-wise and given some serious TLC, so it was incredibly comfortable. I could commute on it as easily as the SV650 and often did. I kind of figured that the benefit of the SV was just to have something lighter and easier to flick around on, but being as heavy as the RSV4 wasn't really getting any of the benefit. So I sold it and got a Ninja 400, and oh boy, I love the Ninja 400. It is just the most fun bike I have ever ridden. So is the RSV4, but obviously in a different way. So anyway, I'm pretty stoked with my lineup right now, and I thought the irony of going from a hard-out 600 guy to now having to now not having any would be lost on you guys. Uh, wouldn't be lost on you guys. But having the 400cc and then the 1000cc is just strategically, conceptually, and philosophically the best decision I've ever made um, after binge downloading three hours of dirt bike music. Thanks for the awesome content you put out each week. We all really appreciate you guys. Please drop a made-up motorcycles a made-up motorcycle segment on a soon. The last one you guys did with your brother was a total pisser. More please. Catch around, Leon. Okay, there's a lot there. So, the first thing I will say is that um, Leon has demonstrated, uh, has, has clearly evolved a little bit, recognizing having, well, I'll say that Instead of being a exclusive multiple 600cc bike owner or uh, super sport bike owner, he's now actually differentiated into a 400cc and a leader, which is kind of a big change in in terms of what Leon's had before. Well, it's like Mark Marquez: medium tires don't exist, right? right? <laughs> you know, I. Uh, the whole point, I mean, the 600 is everything you want in a sport bike. It's like the, it's like a 250 dirt bike, you know, it's, it's light enough to do all sorts of things, but it's also got enough grunt to do the big boy stuff. It's your ultimate medium. Yeah. And the 600 sport bike is really that. But if you have the means, sure, a one liter and a 400 is great, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the, 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 I, the only thing I would say about getting rid of the SV650 is, um, you know, we've said several times in the past, we haven't said it for a long time, but the, the Ninja 250 or now the Ninja 300 and then now the Ninja 400 was kind of the um is kind of the uh uh um MX5 Miata of motorcycles. Yes. Right? So the the Ninja 400 is the newest version of that. 
But yeah, that's sort of the Mazda Miata of motorcycles. Whereas I would say the SV650 is kind of like the the E35 BMW platform of motorcycles, right? It's still a achievable semi, you know, pretty cheap way to get into racing, right? You right. can you can go to essentially like, you know, find find a, an old, you know, one with a blown up motor or something and throw some, you know, throw a new motor in it and, you know, let's go racing. Right. So it's, uh, there could have been a reason to keep the SV if you wanted to hit the track with it. It's a great, that's a great thing to do with it, but you're right for on road purposes. I, I can't imagine waking up many mornings looking at the rsv4 and looking at the sv650 and saying i'm going with the sv650 i can't imagine that uh as far as a 400 and a one liter i would probably have even gone down a little further to something like the husqvarna 401 or maybe an rc390 for um the 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 opposite end of the spectrum but i mean I haven't ridden a Ninja 400. You did. You said it. You fucking loved it, right? I did. It was it was the my favorite bike at AIM that year. Yeah, and it was it's what like thirty horsepower, thirty two, thirty six, somewhere in there. I want to say it's high thirties, low forties. It's yeah. more than you think. Uh, and it's a twin, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Four hundred twin. I could see it doing that these days. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it like it hits like 95 miles an hour or something like that if you really ring the shit out of it. Is that right? Somewhere around there, I think. Uh, maybe depends. it barely hits 100. Oh, it'll hit it. I'm pretty sure it'll hit 100. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, capable, cheap little bike. Aren't they super cheap? Like 4,800 bucks. It was probably gone up this year, hasn't it? But well, we have the internet in front of us. We do, uh, don't we? <laughs> let's look it up. That is a thing that we have. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for the Ninja 400. Um, yeah, I, uh, 56 with ABS. Okay. I still, they're giving them away. All right, cool. Let's see here. Does that do it for emails? Uh, yep. Okay. So we had Hareth last week or nearly two weeks ago or a week ago from, uh let's, yes. t- let's take a quick break and then we'll we'll jump into it okay let's do that we'll be back in a moment all right so hareth let's see here so hareth is what a lot of people consider the real start of the moto gp season and I guess it really is the start of the season in that uh, this is the earliest and most extreme form of silly season that I've ever experienced in that we're not seeing a rider threatening to leave. We're threat- We're seeing an entire factory team threatening to leave and, and switch sides or something. Um what do we know about Suzuki in 2023 swigs? So we don't know a ton, but we do know that they're thinking of leaving the leaving the the championship at the end of the year. Now this is basically just a rumor right now, but 
it's apparently strong enough of a rumor to actually get an official statement from Dorna. Um, and that statement says, uh, following recent rumors of Suzuki departing MotoGP at the end of 2022, Dorna Sports has officially contacted the, the factory in order to remind them that the conditions of their contract to race in MotoGP do not allow for them to take this decision unilaterally. However, should Suzuki depart following an agreement between both parties, Dorna will decide on the ideal number of riders and teams racing a MotoGP class uh, from 2023. Dorna continues to receive high levels of interest from a number of both official factories and independent teams looking to join the MotoGP grid as the sport continues to set a global example of close competition, innovation, and entertainment. Reaching blah, 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 blah. Interest from these parties has been reconfirmed in the past 24 hours. So. So. Uh, so there's two, th there's probably two things to talk about here. One is, first of all, why the hell is Suzuki leaving after having such incredible success in such a short time. Yeah, Suzuki came back in, what, 2014, 2013, something like that? I want to say the their first season, I want to say, was 2015. Hmm, it could be. I thought it was earlier than that. I thought it was 14, but it whatever. Uh, they had, what, a win... By 2017, I want to say. Didn't Vinales get him a win in 2017? 2018 at the latest. I want to say it was 2017, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's just amazing. And, and this is also at a time when we had, you know, basically only like Honda and Yamaha with the seamless gearboxes when we had the super advanced, um, custom ecus on certain bikes yeah back when yeah it was back, the, the electronics were winning races that's right before the standard set of ecus yeah before they standardized uh, and before they they made everything spec for a lot of electronics uh yeah that was when you could not even remotely challenge the championship without a factory bike and winning a race or even really getting a podium on a satellite bike was a huge achievement. And basically I mean, these, Suzuki came in essentially in the last two to three years of the alien era. Yeah. I mean, like one of the most just brutal times in the entire history of Grand Prix motorcycle racing, there were like, five dudes that could win a race for the entire season sometimes four you know and and only two different bikes it was absolutely brutal if you weren't on the factory yamaha or the factory honda you weren't winning shit unless it rained yeah I this, mean, this is when ducati still had concessions yeah yeah it was nuts. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, Suzuki came in. I remember Suzuki said, we want to be in two years where Ducati was two years ago. And then like four years later, they were competitive with Ducati. It was crazy. And then Aprilia came in and they're like, we'd like to do what Suzuki did. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. And it feels like with just the two bikes and, you know, they picked good riders, but they kind of got like, like Suzuki's never gotten like a first round draft pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Vinyaz was a hot rider, but it wasn't, he wasn't a Quadraro. He wasn't a, um, a Mark Marquez. It was sort of like, oh, this Maverick kid's pretty good. But it was like, oh, okay. He got into GP, but you know, he's not like an alien or anything, I guess. Okay. I mean, Suzuki, I mean, he's probably never going to get anywhere, but I mean, you know, it's a ride. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's technically a factory ride, but it's really like, you know, going nowhere you know it was just sort of like oh and we'll let anyone ride the suzuki because pff, right and kind of with rins too rins i mean rins was so hot and cold in moto 2 just like he is in gp he was not like i i would say people had maybe like zarko levels of excitement about rins getting into gp yeah and i i feel like Mir was their most high profile uh rider that they signed onto the GP team. Yeah. And I like I know he's a like a champion and everything, but like it's just hard for me to get excited about Mir. You know what I mean? I well I don't dislike the guy. I don't want to take anything away from him. I just I don't know. Mir kind of bores me a little bit, but but yeah. So he so, is a little too well behaved for yeah. a world champion. So Suzuki comes in, and it seems with the minimal amount of development, research, teams, like rider salaries, got the maximum amount of results you can get. Yeah. So it does seem weird that they're just going to throw it all in. And say, ah, we're done. But maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's like, hey, so we got a championship. We can put up like posters in every dealership and, you know, have cardboard cutouts of Rins and Mir now for the next 25 years and be like, we were champions, you know, cool. Right? Yeah. But I, Maybe they're just not willing to double down and do it again because the return they would see from spending the same amount of money again to win again, you know, when they can just say like, you know, Suzuki world champions. I right. Mm -hmm. I mean, how long has Paps Blue Ribbon been playing that angle, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, it's a thing you can do. You could just say like, oh, we were the champions one time and that's good enough for a lot of people. Right. So, you know, especially for people who aren't in the know. Um, uh, so part of me understands that, but part of me is just like, no, I love Suzuki. I don't want to see them go. Yeah. I'm, and it I feels like imagine. the replacement teams are not nearly as exciting. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, well, people are talking about gas gas replacing them, 
Which means, oh, we're just going to have two more KTMs? Essentially, yeah. Uh, Snore. No, I there's there's two manufacturers that I think would be interesting and who have the the technical chops and the budget to do it. And that's either Kawasaki or BMW. So, I mean, Kawasaki already know how to make a very high performance um high compression high revving leader motor i mean they have a supercharged bike so yeah they'll have to go down to naturally aspirated but they already have they're already competitive in world superbike and they have the engineering chops to develop a proper bike and motor and go full on with the prototype development well not only that kawasaki is just such a gigantic company they could throw so many resources into it. You know, we talk about how Honda could buy the rest of the grid. Kawasaki can buy Honda. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and uh, the, other, the other company that can do it is uh, BMW. Because they already have the HP4 race, which is in many ways like, too good of a bike already for something like moto america (laughs) right because it's essentially the s1000 rr like super specced up like yeah it's like an s1000 rr yeah yeah (laughs) all carbon fiber and just absolutely tuned to insanity so i think they could step up their game and create a moto gp bike they could I, you know, I, I kind of wonder, could Triumph do it? I think they could, but like even Triumph is like, I want to say like a fraction of the size of even Ducati. Do they have the budget for it? Well, I mean, this is why GP has, you know, I mean, they could limits on what you can, I guess they could just take all of their moto 2 money and then just put it all into moto gp development although i don't even know if they're actually making any serious money on that yeah (laughs) i think it's mostly for the advertising already i don't know um it would be weird to see like i mean they have a relationship it's a you know door you know the the series and triumph have a relationship that's that's you know it's not nothing can you still make like do the rules still allow like an 1100 cc inline three is that still oh, yeah <laughs> is that is that still in the rules well i if i was dorna and i was trying to let triumph in i would do something like that i would say like we'll let you do a re- we'll let you do an 1100 three or you know 1200 three cylinder sure okay, <laughs> sure whatever like it'd it be weird to see an inline four triumph but it's possible yeah i yeah well i mean how many inline fours are left i mean the honda's a v4 the suzuki's an inline four the ktm's a v4 the ducati's a v4 aprilia's a v4 Aprilia's i think it's just yamaha and suzuki. yamaha and suzuki yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say they have to like 
Well, I mean, a V4 Triumph is a weird idea. Is that, well. Yeah, I don't think a, a V4 Triumph is any less bizarre than an inline four Triumph. I've decided I want a 1200 inline three Triumph team is what I want. That's I mean, it's not going to happen, but that that's the most fun we could have, right? If they can style it like the old, uh, like the old Daytona. Oh, with the the round bug eye headlights, like the nine five five. Fuck I. yeah! Oh no, I would go back before that, like oh, the yeah? the flat front ones. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, even a nine five five i design would be a lot of fun too. But yeah, a a, tri- a, a an over one liter three cylinder. Well, I mean, actually, you know, I, I'd let him race the Rocket Three. Is <laughs> what I'd really do, but um, yeah. So uh, I don't know what. Um, I yeah, it's it's trying for BMW, I think. Uh, but you know what? That what that means is it's going to be something lame like gas, gas, and we're just going to have two more KTM's on the field. That's what's going to happen. I mean. Yeah, I don't want a subsidiary or I I want to see a new motor. I do, too. Especially now the Aprilia is competitive. You know, like we need one up and coming bike, right? Yeah, we need one. But we need one, you know, one bike to go like, oh, like that's running in the top 10. That's interesting. Right. It fills out the viewing experience. It was it was a nice thing for the last two or three years to be like, you know, like, OK, this, you know, Quadraro is doing whatever. Mir's doing whatever. Uh, you know, Rossi's retiring. Uh, oh, we've had five races in a row where Alicia Spargo's come in ninth place. Didn't expect that, you know. And, and it, it was like we had that little taste when Ianone was running in like third or fourth place for seven laps in Phillip Island, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and and that was like the first time anyone saw any kind of result out of Aprilia. I mean, he crashed, didn't he? But something something yeah. horrible happened there. But but, it just but took- we got a glimpse of the Great White Buffalo. And, and then <laughs> yeah. it just kept like slowly revealing more and more of itself. And I'd like to see that again. I'd love yeah. to see BMW or Triumph do it. Um, I, Kawasaki's not going to do it. I mean, Kawasaki would really be the best. They could throw in all the money, but they they picked their lane and it's World Superbike. Well, I mean, yeah, I just don't want to see like Husqvarna or Gas Gas just putting another bike on with the KTM motor. And well, it's just all KTM. Yeah. It just has. It's, I don't want to see a repainted K, like last year's KTM as a, a new manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. I, how are they getting away with that in, in Moto3 anyway? Uh, even the commentators are like, oh, we got the new gas gas bike, but it's really just a KTM just new with a different paint scheme. It's whatever. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we need to do a deep dive on how much is Gas Gas really its own separate company at this point. Mm. I think they do frames. 
I don't know. I don't know enough to really comment on it. But they don't make motors. And that's what I'm really interested in. Right. So let's get into uh, the results here. Uh, Moto 3 was fun, and I kind of felt like the other races were a bit of a parade. They were. Not that they were bad races, but uh, Moto 3's been delivering this year, like, more than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. What was our Moto 3 podium? Uh, We got Ethan Guevara came first. Uh, Sergio Garcia came second, and Jauma Masia came third. So it's really starting to kind of... It seems like it's so far it's between Garcia and Masia. And they've got Dennis Anju in there as well. Well, Faccio was strong for the first couple rounds, but he's he's been nowhere for like three rounds now, and it's... Ugh. I kind of I kind of placed money on him early, but it's Moto three, it's it's anyone it's still pretty open, but I want to say Moto three um, Garcia's got the biggest points lead of any of the the points leaders. Is that right? That sounds right. I want to say he's got like ninety five points, and he's got something like an eighteen point gap. It's something like that. Whereas everyone else is like seven points or 11 points. It's, I mean, it's still not a big gap, but it's, I could be pulling this out of my ass, but I want to say all the points leaders are around 90 something points. And I don't think anyone's got more than like a 20 point lead. It's all pretty tight amongst everyone. Like, seems there's a lot of winners in every class yeah nobody's just like busted out like two wins unopposed and and like just taking a like just taking three podiums and scored like a quick 40 point lead or anything which is something that used to happen frequently yeah some people put an asterisk on mir's championship in that oh it was a weird year but was it uh, because ever since that season, consistency has been king, not race wins. Yeah. I mean, think about how close all the championships were last year. Like, no one ever really pulled ahead. Uh, Quateraro kind of did at the very, very end. But uh, really close championships for, like, you know... The last couple of years, is that just the way it's going to be? Like, you know, for seven years, we had the aliens and is for the next five years, is it just going to be just consistently finish six or better in every race, never crash and you'll win a championship? Yeah, well, I think that's kind of always been on the table to a certain degree. It has. I mean, a lot of people said that's how like Nikki Hayden won, but I well we're also looking at this from like essentially minus the last two years just an era of mark marquez pulling like seven waste race wins in a row every season so it the real pattern wasn't that you couldn't win by not being by being consistent it was that you couldn't win if you weren't mark marquez right yeah (laughs) yeah 
So, yeah, I mean, did Mark Marquez just cover up the fact that everyone else was getting super duper competitive with each other? It's just he was outshining it now that he's not really at the front anymore. Yeah, I mean, besides, you know, some besides that and like him and like Davizioso, like being a little bit competitive, like it really was everybody else just kind of pretty close together. Yeah. It didn't really stretch out. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's true that. I don't know. I feel like in 2015, if it wasn't for Mark Marquez, Pedrosa would have won. Yeah. Like for all seven of those wins, wasn't Pedrosa in second place? Yes. <laughs> it was <laughs> every race. It was like Mark Marquez 17 seconds ahead, Pedrosa nine seconds ahead, then Rossi in third, like, you know, only like a second and a half ahead of fourth place. That's like how 2015 just went. Yeah, there's um, a lot of those. So, um, yeah, I, for Moto3, like you said, Garcia's kind of becoming our, our emergent, um, con, you know, sort of consistent sort of winner. Well, he's kind yeah. of handling a lot of the races the same way that like Mir did or like um, Jorge Martin did. He's having that kind of performance um, where he's just consistently first or second place and just slowly building that lead out. Yeah, he's not he's not like explosive like Pedro Acosta was last year. Yeah. Um I don't know, I I'm still I still think Masia is strong in it and I still think there's time for Foggia to come back. You know, this is Moto 3. It's not uncommon for the points leader to just crash four races in a row or be taken out out of their control four races in a row. You know. I mean, know. well, yeah, we're still in we're still in the position of, you know, a first place and a DNF is enough to switch the, the champion, the, the yeah. points leader. I, I think this has been thus far the year. I think this will prove to be the year where the, the sort of early season flyaways were the most relevant. I, you know, just with the, the like we're back in Europe now we're back in Harath and we're seeing the same dynamics with everybody. At, at round five as we did in round one like somehow Qatar was real this year i i can't explain it it's <laughs> like it should have been real every year but it's never been real until this year right i coda was well was relevant right you know i argentina portamal like it's all it's all following a similar script mm-hmm. uh, what was our moto two podium uh, so we had Ayagura in one, then we had Aaron Kinnett in second, and we had Tony Arbolino in third. Ar- Arbolino. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so super emotional win for Ayagura. Just a, just a clean technical race on his part. Uh, what was his gap? Do you know? Um, uh, two and a half seconds. Yeah, he just kind of just like slowly built it the whole race. Just real consistent, just put in those laps and just crushed it. Um, I, 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 Agura, I, 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 didn't I call this at Qatar? 
Wasn't at the beginning of the race, wasn't I like, are we finally going to see that Ayagora win? You know? Um, and it, it was fun, like, you know, to hear the, the Star Spangled Banner a few weeks ago. Then we got the Japanese one. This, like, I was like, holy crap, we're dusting off a lot of records here. <laughs> the winner's circle uh, or on the podium. Uh, yeah. We also had a another really, really unfair, like, you know, when somebody gets taken out by somebody else, it's like, okay, you know, that, that sucks. It happens every now and then. But it's happened like a fourth time for Fermin Aldeguer. Oh, I who know. Has been riding oh. so well. And I think it was Jake Dixon just took him out on on an aggressive inside line that he had absolutely no business going for. And Yeah. I I mean at this point it's it's kind of okay for him because everybody knows like well you know you can't really criticize somebody's points when they get taken out like every other race um but I mean it just gives him less opportunities to show what he's got I mean ultimately he's not going up to GP next year even if he wins like 3 races in a row like near the end of the season, he like just needs not... to cut his teeth and get a little more experience. Yeah, yeah. But he's clearly a talent. It, but yeah, that's it's been brutal for him. <laughs> but I mean, that's racing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the thing too: uh, it, these things happen sort of randomly. And the thing about random is that ran- real random doesn't look random. Like clusters happen. It, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's super unlucky, but in a weird way, it kind of predicts smooth sailing at some point. I mean, that's uh, not how probability no, not works. How works at all, but, but if <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, yeah. Well, it, I, I think it's, I mean, well, ultimately him getting knocked out over and over again, oddly looks better than like him getting, you know, 20th place, you know, averaging 20th place in every race. But he keeps getting knocked out when he's in decent positions. That's like true. he's in the top 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, well, yeah, he was, he was in second place, wasn't he? When he got knocked out at, uh, in Argentina, was he running up front? Or I don't know. He's, I mean, he's clearly shown, he kind of looks like when um, Quattararo was doing really well in his first year of Moto Three, when they when he got um, into Moto Three, when they made the rule so that he could get into Moto Three yeah. a year younger. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, which I think is a, is exactly what they did for Fermin in Moto Two. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. There's a Fermin rule now, like yeah. a Quattararo rule or an Aldeguer rule. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, at this point, yeah, just just the fact that he's there shows that the, a lot of people have a lot of faith in this in this kid. So mm-hmm. you know, um, there were some weird. Uh, I jo- do want to point out, like, um, I I always very closely examine the body language of these riders when, especially when one takes out another, and so the two of them, you know, come to their their sliding stop, right, and. Um, you know, for Fermin does the the sort of uh, expected, uh, you know, continental hands up, like, you know, what the fuck was that? 
And Jake Dixon's hands went up in a, what are you going to do? Kind of, <laughs> kind of pose. And I've never seen that before. I've seen like, you know, give the finger back. I've seen like, you know, one wacky hand motion just with another uninterpretable, but I've never just seen like, Oh, what you going to do? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, I've never seen that before. So hats mm. off, Jake Dixon. I, it's not. It's nowhere near the the famous double middle fingers mid slide that um, um, uh, Darren Bender gave us, but pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Well, Jake Dixon is another rider who's also looking really fast, but who does not have anybody else to blame his crashes on. He's the British Joe Roberts. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> I, I, you know, like for all the Sam Lowe's fans out there that thought maybe, you know, Jake Dixon with like some really great qualifying, some half decent finishes, like showing a lot of speed, like just like Joe, like he just, he's just not putting the races together. Like every race I see moments like there's some, it's either the first few laps. It's like, Ooh, Jake Dixon, Jake, Jake Dixon's made six places. We're on lap five, like, holy shit. And then it just stops, right? Or he gets up to second place and crashes out, like, you know, in eight laps yeah. or whatever it is. It There's some, or, you know, he's been back in 14th place. All of a sudden, it's the last three laps. And it's like, Jake's in ninth? What happened there? You know, it, some part of the race is always excellent, but he's not putting together entire races. Yeah, they're both riders that, if they show up with some consistency, like they should be in the money for for fairly regular podiums. But it just seems like there's some there's some disaster that occurs every weekend. Yeah, I mean nobody in Moto Two sucks. They're all great riders, yeah. but the, you know, it's it uh it's it's a brutal game. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, speaking of, you know, Joe Roberts, who won um, uh, uh, a week before, just nowhere this week. And um, uh, well, he got eighth place. I, OK, I guess there's that. But um, yeah. but he, he was also out, right? he was also looking really good at one point in the race. But again, just kind of kind fizzled. Of yeah. did, did Bovier crash out or just finish way at the back? I thought he crashed. He crashed. Yeah. Uh yeah, lap seven. And he had kind of a crap qualifying, too. He was way back there. But, eh, I don't know. Well, I think Joe Roberts started in 14th. That sounds right. So he made up quite a few places. Maybe they were 14th and 17th, the two of them. That sounds right as well. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, Ayagura... Uh, Ayagura's got to be on the Repsol bike next year, right? I don't see a reason why not. I, I will eat my hat if he's <laughs> not on the Repsol bike next year. I mean, he should at least be on on the uh, the LCR. No, no, don't send him to that that <laughs> that 
that quicksand of a race team. No, put him on the fucking Repsol, please. Please. Well, I yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Is there a reason to keep Paul Spargaro? No. 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 <laughs> no. That's like... But... It, it, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not hard to answer the question: Is there anybody else who is more deserving of a factory bike than Paul Espargaro? And I feel like there's a lot of answers to that question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Paul Espargaro would be one of the like. Let's say BMW did get into GP next year, Paul Espargaro would be great for the number one bike for the first year. And then the number two bike for the second, third, and fourth year. Yeah. And then, you know, while they're in a developing phase, that's that's a great spot for Polis Bargro. Not not the number two Repsol bike when Marquez is off his game. No. The the No. No. Yeah. Well speaking of GP, um uh, Marquez looked pretty strong, and was it fourth place or did he squeak out third at the end? I can't remember. Uh, those both sound wrong. Um, maybe the page will load in a moment. Uh, I want to say he got sixth. He fell back quite a bit, or maybe got fifth. What was he? Um, no, he did. He did get fifth place. Yeah. Before the race, he was predicting he would get sixth to tenth, the bottom half of the top ten. But he squeaked out a fifth place. That's that's what it was. Um, I mean, it wasn't a bad performance for Marquez. Well, what's interesting is we did get a glimpse of Mark of prime time Mark Marquez. Oh, the knee save? The knee save. I pointed that out to Claire. She was watching it with me. I was like, look at this. Look at this. I was like, this guy, he's, he's, yeah. he's not oh, he, really he did get on fourth. today, except he, oh, did he squeak fourth? Okay. Yes. So, yeah, and without that knee save, it was a total DNF, and if he had kept it together... Oh, he was in, he was going to get second place if he, if he didn't, if he um, hadn't blown that corner. Uh, I think he would have got third. He overtook Jack Miller in the end, and it was a, it was a fight for third between him, Alish, and Jack Miller. Quadrar and Bagnaya were way off in the front, which also, by the way, Bagnaya getting first again. But okay, so yeah, we I have mean, a well, we have a solid. <laughs> we now have a consistent satellite rider. And this is what his second or third year in GP. Wait, who's the satellite rider? Bagnaya. Or, or oh no, sorry, oh, I'm mixing them up again. Bastianini. Bastianini. Yeah. No, so Bagnaya yeah. turned anyway. it on so much at the end of last year. Yeah, especially going head to head with Marquez yeah. in some really tricky situations, but hasn't really shown up this year until just now. He's he's kind of riding like middle aged Lorenzo. Like mid mid career Lorenzo, yeah. If he gets ahead and it's his day, then he'll just he'll do it without having to pass a single person. But doesn't really know how to fight. Um, actually, where did Bastianini finish? So Bastianini finished eighth. He, yeah, I okay. mean, he's still he's still like second in the points. 
Yeah. He's like 11 points behind or some shit. It's ridiculous. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, Alicia Spargo getting another podium. Like, the biggest competition is coming from, like, two satellite riders. At, at least for Bastianini, the bike... It should be fairly competitive. Well, no. Um, so, um, Aleish, with that podium, Aprilia has officially lost its... Um, oh, yeah. They lost their concessions. I think they keep them for the rest of this year, but for next year, they don't have them. I think that's how it works. That sounds right. Um, but, yeah, they were super stoked about it. Like, they, it seemed that they were... Uh, the Aprilia was celebrating losing their concessions as much as they were, you know, celebrating the podium, which mm-hmm. is a really healthy way to look at it. You know, I've, I've always kind of said like, it's, it's kind of nice to owe a little bit on taxes. Cause that means you're really getting somewhere in life, right? Like if yeah. you're just getting huge tax checks every year, like you could be doing more successfully, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's bad grammar, but you know what I mean? Right. It, you know, it just for what it's worth, like it's it's. Ooh, look at the big shot over here paying income tax. Exactly <laughs> right, you know. Um, so I yeah I um uh let's I weirdly like um where's Jack Miller in the points? Um, uh, he's had a couple crashes this year, so I don't think he's that far up he's gonna be about like fifth or sixth place for points probably uh no no he is 11th whoa he's kind of far back now now to keep i think it's just because he's been riding well and then crashing out so it's like we've pointing, seen him at the front a lot but yeah. not finishing it, well, at the front it's worth pointing out that the difference between 11th and fifth is 14 points Okay. So, yeah, it's pretty close. But still, <laughs> yeah. Um so Quadraro's got to be fourth in the points. Uh he is first in the points with this oh, race. Oh, duh. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh, for some reason I I think I've got him and Bagnaya kind of flipped in my head a lot for a bunch of this shit. So, yeah. yeah he's first he's first in the points with yeah, Bastianini following Alesh third. Uh with this race Alesh is now second. He's got 82. He's seven points behind at 82. Seven points behind. Holy um, shit. Yeah. So, and we have seen a lot, even even last year when he won, we did see a lot of inconsistency out of Quadraro. Yeah. So this is, yeah, with the number of points we have, and the amount of the the least, and we've never seen anything but insane consistency out of Alicia's Park Row. Well, it's like well, you know, back when they were mostly when they were um, kind of in the alien era, the this you know the what I always said was if you gave Alicia pole like a yeah, lot, a lot more, yeah. they'd still get it into tenth place, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> It was just a his fourth was a big ask. Yeah. It's just there's not there was but there was no bike in the world you could give them to get them to podium. We were wrong, yeah. It's apparently you can't. Yeah, of all the bikes, the Aprilia. Um Yeah, I watching Mark for the last two races, I I 
I was a little harsh on Mark, but I, I still have to say like it, I, I think we've seen the last of his dominant seasons, but he's still relevant. Um, yeah, I, mm. I like after I mean after the things we've already said about the GP race, like uh, there's not really much else. It was a bit of a parade. It so, was, but we got some nice moments. We also we also had him battling for those plate for that place. Yeah, that was that was a fairly prolonged third place battle. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Normally, that those sort of more interesting battles are back to like you know fifth and sixth place. The top three tend to really spread out in GP. Yeah, uh, where uh, Lamont is next week, right? Um, like the tenth or some no, twelfth, thirteenth. <laughs> something. It's not. It's not in a couple of days. It's another week, isn't it? It's not Mother's nope, Day. I have hit the wrong button. One sec. It doesn't matter. I will. I will find. I know Lamont's the next round. Um, and then after that, probably Assen, and then it goes. Mm. Uh, it's the fifteenth, so it's not this weekend. It's next weekend, right? Um, and that's kind of a Yamaha track, isn't it, Lamont? If I remember correctly, uh, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, is I there don't think really anything is a, a bike track anymore, though, besides Red Bull Ring. I don't think so. I don't think there is. I don't think I don't think it really fits that way. And I don't think it really has since the end of the alien era and the electronics um, standardization. Yeah. OK, so we'll look forward to that. But. In the meantime, it's kind of like, ah, uh, new winners is just the expectation. I guess, I guess I want to say that. Was it, uh, we've already had five winners in GP this year in six rounds, right? Oh, that sounds right. And, uh, what was, didn't we have like a, like nine winners one year? We did. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting that we're on pace to beat it, right? Because, you know, we're going to see a Jack Miller win at some point, right? Yeah. And we're probably going to see a Rins win at some point. He's always good for a couple. And we could see a Mira win. Um, Who else is in there? Um, Fuck it, Zarko could win. Zarko could win. Um, We've uh, 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 Brad Bender. Brad Bender and Oliveira, yeah. I mean, either of them, especially if it's a, a wet race, um, we could see something out of. Oh, I know there's more people we're really leaving. I mean, there's still a lot of 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 past winners that we would not be surprised at. That really are just due. Like every year, you can count on them for a win or two. So I, we're kind of on pace to get ten winners this year. Yeah. And no one's really talking about it. Like we've had plenty of seasons where five winners was it for 18 rounds. And we're there in six. Without a lot of the usual suspects chiming in. So 
Meh. Yeah. You, know, you know, crazy idea. We might see Mark Marquez win a race. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a possibility. It's, it's happened a few times <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah, fucking Mark Marquez could, 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 could post a W. Why not? I mean, weirder things have happened. I mean, it hasn't happened for what, like 50 races or some shit, but like, uh, like 40. Yeah. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a really long time for Mark Marquez. They said like the number of weeks in, um, in Portimao, I think like it's been this many weeks since Mark Marquez is like podiumed or won or something like like, it's got to be getting to him. And I was like. That is a lot of weeks for Mark, for someone so used to winning. Um, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, I mean, don't, at one point, the Yamaha team did kind of rival that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, but, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, racing. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. And, like, all of a sudden, you just find yourself with no wins. I don't think Mark Barquez is going to bounce all the way back. But I see a little bit of a rebound in his future. And I, I, I'm going to put him down for at least a win this year. Oh, I, I, I'm put him down for two wins this year without he- no hesitation. I would bet a lot of money on that. It, it's just, mm. yeah. This is not going to be a dominant season for him. I don't know if it's going to be a dominant season for anyone. But you know, I, I like, I don't, know. I like seasons like this. So, um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about it. Um, yeah. It, it was fun, but Moto Three was kind of the best race. Uh, Ayagura was the most satisfying result, that's for sure. Um, oh, here, okay, here's another. Since we've had some long, like seemingly long shot wins, or, or like wins coming to people that have been a long time coming, mm-hmm. and because there's so many, like everyone in GP is a race winner, right? I don't know if Paul Spargo is. Well, I guess Darren Bender's not. Well, I mean, not in that class. Um, uh, no, Paul Spargo has won one race. I think. In GP? I don't think so. Um, didn't he win one on the Repsol last year? Uh, maybe? I don't think so, though. Maybe we, I feel like he's, he has won some, maybe not. Uh, Cause I thought it was a thing that like Aleish was the only one that hadn't won a race or something. Um, or maybe Aleish just never won in any of the classes or something like that. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Um, but um, I would, uh, I don't know. Like, like, like Alex Marquez is not going to win a race this year. Right. But who else kind of has one coming? Right. So, uh, he does not have a win in MotoGP. Okay. So as weird as it is to say, as much as I don't like him, It'd kind of be nice to see a Polo Spargo win on the Repsol. I mean, it's not a shit bike. Well, I guess it is kind of a shit bike. Weird. I mean, you know what I mean? We don't know. 
I guess we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, we have like, we have somebody who's been in GP for like nine years who has never won a race, and we have a world championship who like completely broke, who compound fractured his arm, and between the two of them, we don't have any meaningful sample data. It's true to make a decision. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, I, I I'd love to see. Um, a Remy Gardner podium this year. Yeah. And I'd love to see, I, I weirdly would enjoy seeing a Polis Spargro Repsol win. I'd like him to get a win before they kick him off of the team. You know? Yeah. I, because he's put in a lot of time in GP and for his, like, and I do love his bad attitude. <laughs> and I like we love to hate him. We hate to love him. You know, he he brings flavor to the paddock, and he's put in a lot of work on different teams, like all over the place. The Aspargos are just a staple of GP. You know, if this is one of those seasons that seemingly just kind of like handing out wins all over the place, I think I think a pole Aspargro win. You know, let's make this a real year for the Aspargos. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not completely heartless and mean. I, I, I okay, okay. I think I think that's a good enough bombshell to end this on. Yeah. Um. So one eighty six, one eighty seven. Can't fucking remember. Um. Yeah. This has been the Nakamoto podcast, and we will remind you to stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. You ready to do the outro? Let's go. And I don't want to die I just want to ride on my motorcycle Cold 